E-S-N-Y. of the Hoops Addict Anonymous Podcast, an Elite Sports NY production, recording on the evening of December 23rd, right before Christmas Eve. Um, not rolling this time with my co-host Chip Murphy. Uh, Chip couldn't join us tonight, but we are super pumped to have a very talented writer from Hoops Habit, covers the Raptors, knows a little bit about LaMelo Ball as well. We are very pumped to have Lachlan Everett on the show all the way from Australia. Lachlan, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All right. I'll give you the obligated g'day, mate. How are you? Um, <laughs> I'll, take- actually, I'll, I'll give you a good one. It's actually Christmas Eve right now for me. So all the time zones are as they are. As I'll give someone, I'll give you guys a bit of a tidbit that like your 7 p.m. tip offs are like my 10 a.m., 11 a.m. So for basketball, I get up at eight in the morning, exercise, have breakfast, and then I have, you know, brekkie, as we call it, with basketball every day. And then it goes into lunchtime, and then I've got the rest of the day to do whatever I want. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, man, that, that sounds like an awesome life. It, it, it would feel a little weird, I think, initially watching basketball that early in the morning. But I do it for um, – and I always pronounce because we always call it soccer in, in America, but I'm such a I'm a big enough fan that I should respect it enough to say football. But I get enough. I get up that early in for the Premier League um, or anything else like that. So it's, well, it's probably the same for, thing. Yeah. For me, it's not just um, basketball in the morning that the NBL down here, the league down here, that it's at nighttime, obviously, because it's my time zone. So I'm watching basketball all parts of the day. But Again, you're going to run into a football issue that we have our own version of football down here, Australian rules football. So we still call it soccer because, you know, the AFL is our baby and we don't let anyone call it football unless they know. So, yeah. Got you. Um, well, Lachlan, I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. We're, we're super pumped to uh, talk some Raptors and maybe a little Lamelo Ball as well. Um, my co-host and I, we were doing kind of this series, uh, the NBA A through Z series. We were hoping to have it done before the start of the season that didn't work out. Um, it's also tough to find, believe it or not, tough to find some writers for certain teams. Um, but the Toronto- Have you done the Grizzlies yet? <laughs> we have, yeah, we did. Okay, yeah. I could have covered Grizzlies, but you guys got that sorted. We, we, we got that one out. Uh, that was a really good one. Um, but the Toronto Raptors are, are such an interesting team um a great team a, a well-run franchise and you know I, I i'm kind of interested to see how they do this year considering the amount of success they've had um i always think one of the most difficult things for any nba team to do when they've had success and they have maybe a star or two that are getting towards maybe not the end of their career but at least towards the end of the time but they have a couple of young pieces and how do they transition and how do they keep the ship running? Right. Um, so I think the first place I want to start is just their off season, right? They finished last year, 53 and 19 lost in the Eastern conference semis to Boston. Um, overall, I mean, we know what happened with Fred Van Vliet, um, Aaron Baines. How would you grade the Raptors off season in terms of the moves that they made? Um, Well, there's, I kind of spoke about it recently in my most recent piece, which was talking about the OG signing who just signed for four years, 72 million, I believe, off the top of my head. Um, But the Raptors are banking on two things. And this was the focus of my piece that as they've proven so far that they can develop guys into all-stars. They've done that with Pascal. They plan to do that with OG. They've... I mean, before the Maasai kind of era, that was when they got Larry and DeMar, but they turned them into very productive and all-star talent that they're banking. They can turn Van Fleet, OG, Pascal into stars where 
signing OG, I imagine that they haggled over that contract a lot until Giannis put pen to paper. Because once that ended, they go, well, we've got nothing else now. We've got to sign. Like, there's no one worth it. Rudy's gone. Paul George is gone. The only guys left is Damar, Andre Drummond, off the top of my head I can think of. So they're banking on OG being a star. And then the other part is they've done, they've filled out the roster with little contracts. Aaron Baines, 15 million over two years, at the top of my head, DeAndre Bemry. And then as well as your Matt Thomas, your, um, who you are, well, Fred Van Fleet fits under that as well, but you get your undrafted, unwanted guys and bring them in and make them productive. So their, their philosophy is get the cheap guys, turn them into productive, get your stars, get your young guys and turn them into stars, and then that's your championship roster. So to grade their offseason, it wasn't perfect. They lost both of their centers and replaced them with Alex Len, Aaron Bades, and Ed Boucher will probably push up into that role. So I'd say a B plus maybe because they replaced everything they needed, but I don't think they necessarily got better. What did you think? And it's funny, you know, uh, I, I agree. And, um, you know, they've, they've been able to develop, right? So they should have faith in, in this kind of philosophy that, and their system and their coaches and exactly, you know, they've, they've done this and, and uh, they work from within that's kind of their philosophy and it's, and it's been um, successful thus far. One, one of the things I was also interested in asking you is just your overall thoughts about Marcus all and what he has left in the tank, because, you know, during their championship run um, you can kind of marvel at his passing for a big man um, defense, even though he's not, the most flight of foot. Um, but, you know, there was rumors that he was, you know, going to, he well, not rumors. He was going to leave the NBA and, and, and um, play overseas. And then the Lakers got him back. And I think on the surface, um, you know, it was seen as like a really good signing for the Lakers, but I also know that people were really also questioning what he has left in the tank and, and what he can really provide you outside of like 10 or 15 minutes a game. What do you think legitimately he has left in the tank? Um, I believe Powell and or Mark, they pushed the back, the narrative that Gasol well, Mark was going to return to Spain, but we'll never know until he writes a book or whatever he does. But um he definitely struggled in the playoffs. There's no denying that he's older, but I imagine that it came apart as a factor that Serge, younger, more athletic, more switchable. And then they, I think they played with the Pascal OG at center lineups in the playoffs. I can't remember specifically a point, but the Raptors um, tried to move smaller and then Serge is smaller. So you put him at center more often. So Gasol wasn't in rhythm and then, the bubbles, a whole thing. And we don't know if he got COVID or not. I can't remember, but going into the Lakers, I think he doesn't have to do as much as he did with the Raptors. But I remember Zach Lowe said on a multiple podcasts, he couldn't figure out who he wanted to put on the, the old defense team for the Raptors because everyone was so good. So he tallied a bunch of coaches and the, and the result was Marcus Gasol was their best defensive player because of his intelligence and his just overall rib protection. So Going off that, Marcus Gasol was their best defensive player, but it was much a team defense. So he goes into the Lakers, clearly not the best defender. AD has that without a lock, without a question. And as we saw in the playoffs with almost every team, Bam Adebayo, who was a power forward because of Myers Leonard, was taking a beat. Like Myers Leonard was your center during the regular season. Bam took over in the playoffs. JaVale McGee was your starting center in the regular season. AD took over. Brook Lopez, Giannis, all of that. I think it's going to be very similar. And you have Montrez Harrell on your team who can also do that. But Montrez Harrell, he's your sixth man. He doesn't play. He plays starters minutes, but he's not going to do that. But Marcus Saul, I think he's going to have limited to a degree starting minutes because he's going to be able to stretch the floor and take a bruising for AD and let him be a stretch four during the regular season. Then in crunch time, you put AD at five. So I don't know if it's a question of how much he has left. It's more so 
does Vogel rely on Gasol too much or does he really let AD play centre this season? Because we all know his injury history. We all know that he could get fouls early, but that's why you have Montrez. That's why you have Gasol. So I think Gasol fits better than JaVale. They're going to be a different team. They were defence last season. Everything about them was defence. This season, they're slightly adapting. And I think Gasol isn't the pogo stick that the two centers from last season were, but he's just as smart. And AD being your lurking defense will compensate for that. And Gasol stretching the floor adds a whole new dynamic. So I don't think it's about what he has left. I think it's how Vo- if Vogel relies on him too much and doesn't let AD be AD. Yeah, I think it's a delicate balance, um, kind of like what you're talking about. And uh, it'll be, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how they how they deploy him. And, and I, I think it does kind of matter what you're saying, not necessarily what he has left, but how he's utilized. Um, another area of the Raptors offseason that I wanted to touch on was their draft. Um, yeah. Not a ton of options there, but they really hit a home run with um, who I thought, uh, I forget whether it was a 28 or, or 29, but they drafted both Malachi Flynn and, and Jalen Harris. But Malachi Flynn was someone from, from very early on that, uh, as a, I'm a Knicks fan, and I, I wanted the Knicks to take him. You know, we obviously took Emmanuel quickly, who I like so far. I'm not going to hate on quickly at all. I, I think he's been decent. He actually just got hurt. Um, tonight in, in his first game. But Malachi Flynn, uh, to me, was was really such an interesting prospect despite his height, you know, really supreme playmaker in the pick and roll, a uh, really good shot creator, uh, a smart player, a tough player. What did you think overall about the, the Raptors draft? I um, I'm not your double um, NCAA expert. I my draft profiles this season were focused on the NBL. I obviously have a good connection. I know the league very well, but similarities between the Grizzlies and the Raptors, they both drafted late and they both got steals, according to everyone. That Malachi Flynn was a steal at where he was and Desmond Bain was a steal at where he was. And I um, watched the Hornets during the preseason and I got a good look at Malachi Flynn. I think Flynn, to a degree, outplayed Lamelo, which says a lot, but... I, there is a hard, it's hard to say because that was going to be one of my key things with, I don't know who the Raptors backup point guard is that Fred Van Fleet used to be the leader of the bench mob. And now he's promoted to starting that your backup guards is like Malachi Flynn, Terrence Davis with a huge asterisk. We have no idea if he's going to play this season or not, but he has played at times like, and then possibly Norman Powell or Patrick McCaw are your backup, like between pick out of those guys, who is your backup point guard? And I think Nick Nurse, his system acts as a point guard to a degree, but and then when you get to the playoffs, you don't need a backup point guard because you only play nine guys, but it's going to be interesting to see who's your backup point guard. And then if Flynn can actually take on that responsibility, because everything I've seen in the preseason, I've liked what he's done, but obviously that, there are a lot of good backup point guards in this league, and I don't know what the Raptors are doing at that position necessarily. So for the draft's sake, I don't know anything about the second draft pick, but for Malachi Flynn, that it's a nice it's a nice pick. He's 22, so that's older, but they got him late in the draft, so I'm happy to see what happens. But I think with all rookies this year, it's going to be um, a bit confusing because they had no summer league. They barely had a pre-draft. They couldn't do workouts, so... It's going to be hard to evaluate rookies this year, but I know that the Raptors will get the best out of him, which is the most that matters. Yeah, I think that makes sense too. Uh, the development staff is, is renowned, and I'm sure that Flynn will, will thrive there. Um, another thing that you mentioned was uh, the Raptors' defense. And one question that I had like highlighted here that I made sure that I wanted to ask you was, and I, I got to – try and give some context to the question. So essentially it's what is so great about Nick Nurse's defense. But the way that I want to ask this is that like, from what I've heard, you know, he, he deploys or implements, you know, a lot of different schemes. I know the easy answer and the true answer is that, well, it's, it's the players in the scheme, right? I mean, like Nick Nurse could be um, an amazing defensive genius, but without Kyle Lowry, without guys, 
um, who are long and, and can clog passing lanes and are active and understand schemes and recover and close out, no, no defensive scheme works. But Nurse has specifically and, and um, really last season gotten a lot of credit for his defense. Um, from what you've seen in covering the team, is, is there maybe another staff member on the coaching staff or, or what sticks out to you when you watch their defense and, and why is it so great? Um, starts with Masai, obviously, that he's filling out the roster with gangly, long-armed, tough people who can play defense, and that's credit to Masai, firstly. But then you've got chess master Nick Nurse, who has to play with all those pieces. And there's a really good video. I think it's B-ball, maybe B-ball breakdown, but maybe it's Ben Taylor with Thinking Basketball, where it was dissecting the chess match between Brad Stevens and Nick Nurse. And Brad Stevens won partly because he had more talent but in that last series that the Raptors played in. But I think it's a credit to um, Nick Nurse playing overseas, um, well, coaching and playing overseas. He's been, he coached in England. Like that's, England is not a basketball country. So he's been around the world and he was in the G League. So he's getting new pieces every week to implement into his system. So he's had to, develop and learn how do I make a system that works when people have no idea what it is when they come in I've got to adapt I've got to have a system that lets people when people leave I can bring in someone they can pick it up quickly and then they can also fill it out and do it at an efficient level so I think that's a credit to it I'd love to read his book but it's $50 on Amazon and I'm not paying that shipping because of conversion rates bloody (laughs) Australia Australian Amazon sucks for all of those books. So um, with for Nick Nurse, I mean, I think it has to start with Lowry as everything starts with the Raptors because he's just a, such an intelligent and such, he does not give a damn about his body, which scares me partially. But if you look up and down the roster, you got Kyle Lowry. We all know Kyle Lowry. Fred Van Fleet is one of the toughest six foot one humans you can see. Yes. OG Ananobi has one of the stockiest bodies, but long arms. Pascal Siakam, stocky, long arms. And then you've got your platter of centers. Aaron Baines is going to be a brick wall. Chris Boucher was one of the best three-point contesters in the league last season. So the Raptors have the personnel. Nick Nurse has had the experience of having no idea who's going to play for him week to week and then having to do that. And then Masai giving Nick Nurse the chess pieces to do Beth Harmon shit. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, how big of a step do you think OG Ananobi can take this year? Um, and ultimately, and I, you know, I don't know if um, if you would have a player comp in mind. When he reaches his ceiling, whatever it is, what do you think that can look like? Well, that was the focus of my most recent piece, which was a part reaction, part what does this mean for the future of the Raptors, where I just basically said the cap space, it doesn't matter to them anymore because Giannis is gone. But I think we over-fetished in that 2019 season. I think we over-fetishized the Kawhi Leonard tutoring OG Ananobi because everyone was waiting for OG to become this two-way threat while Kawhi Leonard was on the team. But OG was partly hurt, but I think we need to remind ourselves, this is Kawhi Leonard. He's not going to hang out with someone for no reason. (laughs) So, like, you could learn from someone watching them, but I think a lot of what Kawhi does is intelligence and his unproportioned body. (laughs) So I think OG, he's already a really great defender. He was tied six in defensive wind chairs last season. Um, and then a part of that Raptors squad. I think he got one second-place all-defense vote, maybe, off the top of my head. But for the what needs to change is his three-point shot was actually pretty good. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was 35%, but that's going to continue its progression. But the off-the-dribble stuff is the main thing, that he has shown an ability to go off the dribble, but... In the games where he's shooting high points, I think it was 32 points is his career high against the Bucks, maybe. But that was a lot of three points. That game, 
I think he made three threes or maybe five threes. So that's, I don't know, 12 points roughly. And he had seven ridiculous seven steals, which led to a lot of fast breaks. But that makes up for like 20 points with your fast break steals and your three-point shots. So if he didn't have that, that would have just been your 10-point average game. And he averaged 10 points for the season. So he got a lot of threes and a lot of fast break opportunities. So for him to develop offensively, I think it's off the dribble stuff. I think it's doing the mid-range actions that Kawhi can do. But I think a well as well, it's going to be, he's going to be more aggressive to the ring, which he has the body frame, the length in his arms, and then the size at 6'7", six, 6'6", six, six, to get to the ring. So he's going to be more aggressive as well as hit those mids, make create off the dribble, and then get to the free throw line. And that will bump him up. If he's making two threes, six layups, couple free throws, and then a few fast break points, that gets you to the 22 points a game that you need to take that next step. Um, it's, it's so, I mean, again, it's such a versatile team and really, you know, more than a couple budding stars on that team prior to Siakam's injury. Um, I mean, he was having really an amazing season and I know that some, some people on, on Raptors Twitter were a little bit lower on him, um, when he came back and, and people were kind of saying, oh, we have to put the brakes on what he can be and his potential. What's kind of your take on that? And how close do you think Siakam can come this year to his production before his injury? Well, we've all seen the memes of, you know, Pascal Siakam only has one move and it's someone doing a spin and then falling into a wall. That's just, it. it's speak, like Raptors Twitter, I think reacted really negatively because they, because they've watched so many games. And I think it was partially, like if you look at the pre to post All-Star game stats for Siakam, it's, I mean, in this last season, it's very different considering what is post and pre, but his splits on like NBA.com advanced stats, it's drastic. And I think you saw that in the playoffs significantly, that he was missing shots he was making in, in November and October. And that's something that came from the injury. I think he was rusty. Then he had however long off. And then he came into the bubble rusty that he was missing shots. He was making the first half of the year. And when you only have four or five moves and you start missing those shots, you can't do anything on the court. And this is, I think it's comparable to Giannis that when you get into the playoffs, what does he offer in the half court? Pascal is a really good trail three-point shooter. He's a really good passer and um, driver in the full court. But in the half court, what does he offer? And I think Lowry really, really pushed that team in the half court during the regular season, and it fell apart in the playoffs. That's why I think Fred Van Fleet is so important to this team because Pascal Siakam needs a pick-and-roll partner. He cannot create – currently, he cannot create off the dribble enough. And that's why Fred Van Fleet, who – had, I think, six assists last season playing next to Kyle Lowry is so important to that team because you need Fred, you need someone to set Pascal up on the block when he seals. You need a pick-and-roll partner, a pick-and-pop partner. So until he develops a an efficient post-game, a triple threat, because he can shoot from the three-point line, but he's not creating a three-point shot off the dribble. So he needs to be able to be a triple threat player as well as create off the dribble more that isn't just a spin move. <laughs> and that's why I want Fred Van Fleet to be more involved this season because Fred Van Fleet fits the timeline of this team better than Larry. He's, uh, Van Fleet is, um, is, is really amazing to me. And I think also what you, when you're talking about setting Siakam up in the post too, you have to respect Van Vliet, his catch and shoot numbers are great as well. So you have to respect him there as well. So that hopefully gives Siakam a little bit more room and time to operate in the post. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Knicks fans, we, we kind of had some pipe dreams about maybe signing Van Vliet, but we all knew um, there, was, there was no chance of that. You think of that starting lineup, there's no one who can't shoot. Right. You put Baines in the corner, yep. Pascal's posting up, Lowry ran fleet on the two wings and then OG decent shooter, like 35%. I don't know the catch shoots, but 
there's no one in that starting lineup who can't shoot. And if you go small, you, I don't know, let's say you put Matt Thomas into the starting lineup and then you push Pascal to five, OG to four, and then you have the three guards. Like, there's, you can have lineups with pure shooting around Pascal in the post. It's just you've got to see if he can actually post. Absolutely. Um, two more Raptors questions, and then I, I want to get into a little bit of uh, LaMelo Ball as well. When it's all said and done, where do you think the Raptors will finish this season in the Eastern Conference? Um, what do you think is their ceiling in terms of the playoffs? I'll give you, because I know you're thinking about it, I'll give you just what, where I had them. Um, I, I previously, I always felt like I disrespected the Raptors, uh, in my previous season rankings. So I actually had them, I, which I felt was okay. I had them fourth and I had them behind the bucks, the nets and the 76ers. And I'll admit, I'm probably a little higher on the 76ers than most people, um, you know, that I've spoken to, but where do you think ultimately they, they lie in the Eastern conference? Um, I'll raise you on the sixes on that. I think losing Horford and they traded out Harris, um, not Josh Richardson as well. They lost talent and they added fit. Right. So you take Richardson out, you add Curry in. You take Horford out, you add Green in. So people are saying they've lost talent, but they fit better. And I think the part we're missing is that the sixes have talent. Ben Simmons is an all-NBA talent. Joel Embiid is an all-NBA talent. Um, Tobias Harris is a 20-point-per-game scorer at his best. So if we lose talent in those trades and we bring in defenders and three-point shooters, I think the theory is with Maury is that you maximise the talent you already have. With The best we saw of Harris was with Doc Rivers in LA. Ben Simmons has been phenomenal for his career and then has been with Hal Horford at center. I don't have the numbers, but he's been good. And then Joel Embiid's Joel Embiid. So reducing that talent and then adding guys who fit better might maximize and compensate the talent you lost in those trades. So that's why I'm higher on the sixes, but we got burnt last year and I'm hesitant to give them the credit before this season started. And I want to watch them in this pre the game against the wizards for the day. I haven't got a chance to, but I think there's also a little tidbit here that Ben Simmons could be an interesting thing, especially with the Harden trade, but he skipped out on the 2019 FIBA World Cup where he was supposed to play. He was listed to play and then skipped out. This 2020 Tokyo Olympics could be very, very interesting for Ben Simmons. Obviously, I'm invested in this, but think of a starting lineup. You've got Patty Mills, Matthew Della Vadova or Ryan Brokoff, Joe Ingles, Ben Simmons, Aaron Baines. That is a floor-spacing lineup around Ben Simmons. So if this season goes to crap for the Sixers and they don't trade one of them before Tokyo and Ben Simmons plays, it's, we don't know if he'll play. He has a history of skipping out on the Olympics, but hopefully he'll play. That could be a deciding factor. If he plays really well in Tokyo with a spacing lineup, we could see Joel Embiid traded instead of Simmons. Wow. That is a, I like that take, man. I, you know what? I definitely did not think about that at all, but it makes sense. Uh, think Joe Ingles, Patty Mills, 40% from three. Aaron Baines, good shooter. Ryan Brokoff, Delhi, all that. But obviously I'm invested in this, but that's something I've had my, I've had my eye on going, if he plays in the Olympics, we could see, the ultimate spacing lineup that he couldn't do with the NBA. <laughs> well, also with the way Maury is, has typically run his teams, um, you know, if he sees it, that Simmons really works well with that type of, um, with players with that type of skill set around him, I mean, that might make his decision in, in terms of how to build the team a, a little bit harder because everyone is assuming right now that it's going to be Joel that's going to stay. Um, and for good reason. I mean, we know why, but, and that Ben, Ben is the one on the trading block, but who knows, you know, maybe something could change that. I, I think that's a very interesting point that you make. As, as well, that um, Joel Embiid's conditioning has always been a question. His injury history has been a question. And I think Ben Simmons could be more valuable if you put a team around him, but to not get sidetracked. <laughs> well, um, I think my lock for the top of the conference is the Bucks. No question. Um, and then 
you've got this. I'm looking at the standings to, to the right of me that you've got the Nets who have impressed me in their first presence in their first game, but they gave up a hundred points to the Warriors. <laughs> and that's going to be my biggest concern this season for the Nets. It's, they will outscore teams, but can they stop teams? And if they miss a couple shots or if Kyrie wants to post up 10 times, they might lose games because they can't defend. There's no one in that starting lineup who can defend bar DeAndre Jordan and Kevin Durant. And Jordan isn't as good as it used to be. So the Nets are a tentative, like two to four. The Sixers, as we just said, I feel like Doc is going to do well in the regular season, but as yeah. we've seen, he's going to struggle in the playoffs possibly. So I'm going to put them in that tier. And then you've got to compare them to the Heat. You've got to compare them to the Celtics. So they are in that two to five area. And I think last season, Serge Ibaka, Lowry, Marcus All, Norman Powell, someone else, they missed like a total of like 150 games between like a bunch of players who had injuries. So if they stay healthy and there's no COVID scares, the Raptors could be better than they were last season because they missed so much time. So I'm going to put them at that three to four and maybe have the Bucks and the Nets and the Sixers above them. And then they're playing with the Celtics, Sixers, bit. But I'd say fourth or third is my final stamp. I'm not putting the Pacers above them, um, not putting the Wizards above them. So, yeah, that three, four-ish. Got you. Um... Lachlan, my last Raptors question, and my guy Chip um, would kill me if I didn't ask this. He is a massive Kyle Lowry fan. I love Kyle Lowry too. Um, in your in your heart of hearts opinion, when it's all said and done and, and Lowry um, hangs up his sneakers for the last time, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? I haven't looked at the Hall of Fame projection from basketball reference, but Going off a gut reaction, I'd say yes. I think looking at the guys who get in the Hall of Fame, there's some guys who'd go, oh, he's in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, Chris Webber isn't. But I think if you go down his resume, he's the all-time Raptor. He will, until someone takes his place, he's the best Raptor of all time. He's got a championship. He was the second best player on a championship team. He's got a gold medal from Rio. He's um, had a okay career at Villanova, I believe it was. But, I mean, he's going to be high in every single Raptors statistic, especially charges taken. He's going to have gold medal championship, and he's going to be probably the face of the Toronto Raptors until someone comes along. And I think that plus the next two, three years of stat collecting is going to have him as well as he could have the Jason kid at 39 years old extra ring as a veteran on a different contending team. I think at this point right now, December 23rd for you, December 24th for me, he is a Hall of Famer, but I don't think he's first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. The other way, the other way I was looking at it too is – I think in this day and age of advanced stats, um, you start to see how some players make a very significant impact on winning without um, a statistical profile that really jumps out at you. So yeah, I well, look at the, the resumes, really, like six-time All-Star, 15-16 All-NBA, nine, 19-NBA champion, a career average of 14.7 points per game, 6.2 assists per game. 4.3 rebounds, it's pretty high for a guard. And then yep. basketball reference, that's done. Now go to Wiki, what do we got down here? Um, so it was all NBA third team in 2016. Second team, all Big East in 2006. I don't know what the NCAA awards are. <laughs> um, retired by the Villanova Wildcats. And then he got a gold medal in Rio. So, I mean, he's not going to get in from his college career, but that adds up. And then his all-time statistics are going to add up. So I think it's, yeah, it's a question of when, not if. Yeah. I, uh, and, and it's it's just funny, too. I think, you know, the more and more uh, the mystique that builds around his play, uh, you just see that he does 
so many things on the court that matter, whether it's a hockey assist or a screening or just his positioning on the court, moving without the ball. Charges. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, absolutely. So I, I think when it's all said and done, um, there's enough people that love Kyle Lowry. And, and I think the biggest point that you make being the face of a franchise um, such as the Toronto Raptors, we'll, we'll get him in eventually. Well, we've got to remember the narrative. The Raptors stunk. It was LeBronto. And then he, he is the Raptor who lasted. Kawhi was a mercenary. You traded DeMar for him. It's, DeMar wasn't the guy, wasn't the Raptor. It was Larry. He was the guy who got tortured by LeBron for years. He's the right. guy who moved around from Memphis to Houston to Toronto. He was the guy left, and he's the one who gets the ring out of all of them. So he's the one who got tortured. He's the one that the Raptors fans sat there going, oh, God, we're going to have to play LeBron again. And he's the one who outlasted that. So I think the narrative, like, that's with LeBron as well. He's going to make the Hall of Fame, but people say his 2016 championship is the most important for a good reason. The narrative behind it, he came home. And now it's not LeBronto, it's Toronto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very, very well said. Um, as we move on... Or Tampa Bay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that too. Um, as we move on uh, to LaMelo Ball, uh, as a Nick fan, I'd be remiss if I, I didn't ask you about uh, Aaron Brooks. Um, oh, God, here we go. Just because I, you know, I, I know that you, you know the team well, you follow the Illawarra Hawks, and I, miss, I apologize if I mispronounced No, that. Illawarra is correct. Um, and, you know, we the Knicks hired Aaron Brooks as a uh, player development staff. He had a solid career in the NBA, and obviously head coach Tom Thibodeau knows him from his time in Chicago. Um, what, if anything, you know, uh, do you know about Aaron from covering the team? How do you think that he can maybe help uh, player development staff? Um, you know, what, what's kind of your overall take on Aaron Brooks? Well, um, in many overseas leagues, including the NBL, they have a rule where you can only bring a certain amount of imports, which is an international player. So the next stars, which is the program LaMelo Ball to participated in, is you can bring in anyone you want, but they have to be a certain age and they can't have played professionally anywhere. Oh, no, something like that. Young kids, basically, is the next star. So that doesn't count against your imports. So... The Hawks were, they were given Lamello to bring them attention because Illawarra is a small working class town. And then the coaching and the team said, okay, we need a veteran to help Lamello. And they brought in Aaron Brooks. And Aaron Brooks tore his Achilles, I believe, three games into his season with Illawarra and then went straight back to America to rehab. So we only got three games of Aaron Brooks down here. And then we also only got three games of LaMelo Ball ever playing off the ball in his whole goddamn life. There is, besides when he was 13 playing with Lonzo at high school, he's never been off the ball except for those three games. And that was one of my big things when I was doing my draft profiles. I was saying, like, name a place in LaMelo Ball's career where he's ever played off the ball. And we got that for three games in Illawarra, and it wasn't good. LaMelo Ball was doing the triple doubles. He was doing all the fun stuff at the end before he got injured. So I think he was brought in to partly develop LaMelo Ball, but he was also brought in to steady the ship, make that team a functioning team in the half court. So to have him brought in, I think, is a smart move. He's a vet. People respect him. He's going to be able to teach kids how to be point guards, how to run the floor. But another thing that's underrated is you have a bunch of money now. What do you do with that money? Don't go James Harden it. Go invest it. Go buy something like a house or something. So there's no complaints with his signing. I just think that, um, yeah, it's hard to evaluate what he did down here because he was only here for 28 minutes on a court. Gotcha. And, and you mentioned LaMelo's um, lack of off-ball experience. Um, it's likely the, that the Hornets will give him the keys and play him a lot on ball, given how high they drafted him. Um, what do you think about his environment, where he gets drafted in Charlotte? And ultimately, do you think that that is a team that, that can get the best out of him? We've heard so much about Michael Jordan's um, 
you know, ability to run a team, lack of ability to, to uh, build a team. So that scares me a little bit uh, for a guy that I'm, I'm kind of rooting for. Um, you know, what, what type of environment does he need to, to do his best? And, and in terms of the, the skill set that you play around him, and do you think that Charlotte can provide that for him? So going into the draft, your top six picks were Timberwolves, Warriors, Charlotte, Bulls, Cleveland, I believe, off the top of my head. And then out of those picks, Timberwolves is a terrible fit because D'Angelo Russell is best on the ball and they already suck on defense and LaMelo Ball is not going to help with that. The Warriors, I can't imagine Draymond Green putting up with the shit LaMelo Ball does on and off the court. But as it would be the best place for his development, but it's not going to be the best place for his brand. Um, and then you get to the Hornets and the Bulls. My personal pick was the Chicago Bulls. Okay. They lacked they lacked a true point guard. I was covering the Bulls last season, and I thought Kobe White is best suited to be a shooting guard, be that secondary, be the set like Steph Curry. I compared it to Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Kobe White is your point guard, but Draymond Green is your playmaker. Right. And that's why I thought Bogdan Bogdanovich, the Kings, Bogdan Bogdanovich, well, Hawks now, would be a good fit with them. Let be, let them dichotomize. But I thought if you had LaMelo Ball, Kobe White, Zach Levine, Larry Mark, and Wendell, that is going to be a pure offense team. You let Kobe White run the offense in the half court, let LaMelo do it in the full court. So that was my personal pick for the best fit. But he lands with Charlotte. And there are big questions about he can he play off the ball and in the preseason and in the first game, which I've watched today, that he was playing off the ball. Um, if you didn't know, Terry Rozier dropped 42 points. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, my no. God. So, yeah, that's not going to be covered. That's so interesting to me because, um, and again, I, I see this from a Knicks perspective because there was a lot of talk two off seasons ago um, about us trying to potentially – trade one of our bad contracts off and maybe take Rozier back. And at the time, everyone just kept talking just, uh, you know, terribly about Terry Rozier and saying that he can't shoot. Turns out that he actually had a pretty solid shooting year last year, played pretty it was better. And then, you know, um, drops 42 in a game tonight, tonight apparently. They, they lost, but it. I think it's going to be a thing where Graham – Devontae Graham was your best player last season. He plays on the ball. Terry Rozier plays on the ball and LaMelo Ball needs to play on the ball. He is, And in the preseason, when he's playing off the ball, he is lurking in the corner or he's doing a James Harden impression where he sits at the top of the key and just goes, give me the ball, please, please. I don't know what to do. I've never been taught to play off ball in my whole career, please. And he has no idea what to do off the ball I thought in the first couple preseason games, he's been communicating better on the defensive end, but he's still unable to understand off-ball actions on offense. He's set a couple screens here and there, but I have no idea how he operates off the ball unless he's taught how to do it. And I hope that happens in the NBA. He wasn't able to do it in the NBL because there was only 12 games for him, but for... LaMelo Ball to fit with the Hornets. I've done pieces on how he fits with the young core and how he fits with Gordon Haywood, but LaMelo is an okay catch and shoot player, but he's awful creating his own shot shooting percentages wise. So on offense, if he doesn't have the ball, the only thing he really can do to be productive is lurk in the corner, try and get a catch and shoot or cut along the baseline and use his athleticism to get to the ring or catch the ball and then dish it back out because he draws so much attention. So for his fit to work, he firstly has to figure out off the ball on offense and he has to do anything on defense. Mm. He has, he's high. He's got a high IQ on defense. He gets steals. He can tip rebounds. He gets his hands in passing lanes, but he gets beaten off the dribble constantly. I think one of the two examples that come to mind is in the preseason, he was guarding Matt Thomas in the corner for a majority of his time. That's, that's a, that's a conscious choice by the coaching staff to not have him on the ball. He was Matt Thomas protection in the corner. And then today he got beaten off the dribble by like Colin Sexton, like 20 times. That's Colin's. That's not Kemba Walker. That's not, 
Kyrie Irving. So if he's being beaten by Colin Sexton off the dribble, he's not going to be able to play crunch time in any capacity in the NBA. Right. Yeah, his lateral quickness. Um, on any he has point. lateral quickness. I just don't think he, phys- he doesn't react in time. He just doesn't <laughs> react in time. No, I, I, he's got all of the tools. He's got like a 6'9 wingspan. He's 6'8". He's got a strong core. He's able to defend the post. He's really good at like fronting big men. He's There's a guy like in the NBL, he's really good at fronting all the bigs down there. But like Aaron Gordon, Larry Nance Jr., I've seen, he's been really good at going up against those guys who are similar sizes and who are similar like guards laterally are going to beat him, but he can keep up with Aaron Gordon, for example, on the perimeter if he has the ball. So I think his best course of action would be to guard your threes and fours on defense Mm. and let your other guys guard the guards because he's going to get beaten every single time. It's from what we've seen, he has not shown an ability to stay in front of his man who is a guard. What is um, in your time covering him in the NBL, what is something that surprised you about LaMelo? Whether, whether you heard it from coaching staffs or, or um, anyone around the team that, that you didn't know about him. And it could either be a surprise in a, in a positive way or, or a negative way. Um, I've beaten around the bush for everyone. I've spoken to everyone I could in the NBL. I've spoken to his head coach. And I think, I think it's not surprising if you've read Mern's piece or anyone else's. He's a great kid. He, it's just the paparazzi around him it's the the hoo-ha of we finally got three balls in the league but G- what is his name jello got a 10-day oh, contract yeah. in training camp it's yeah, all bad. of this stuff it's i think the most surprising thing is was his ability to finish in the nbl the nbl where what happens in the nbl is if you're too short to play in the nba but you have the talent you come down to the NBL. There are guys like Bryce Cotton, John Robeson. So Bryce Cotton is a multiple time 20 points per game scorer in the NBL. He's won multiple championships down here. He um, was in a Utah training camp. John Robeson is one of the best shooters on the planet. He shot like 45% in Europe and he's won multiple Euro Cups. Um, I can't, th- someone like, um, I'm trying to think if there's an American Scott Machado led the league in assists last season. He was on the Lakers in 2018, 19. So if you're too short to make it down in the NBA, you're um, going to probably play down here. So his ability, that's the talent of the NBL, but the bigs are less than like your, your centers, your power forwards aren't probably going to be as good as your ones in the NBA, but he was finishing at will around the ring. He scored 17 points per game in the NBL and a couple of those were three. So most of his points were fancy layups around the ring behind the like reverse layups. He was dunking over people in putbacks. So my, I was really impressed by his ability to finish and he's shown hesitancy to go to the ring. There was a preseason game against the Magic where he wouldn't go at Nikola Vucevic, who's not a rim protector, but he's a big body. So I think it's a lack of confidence going at bigs, but he's going to get used to going against NBA centers. And he has the length and the like, the core body strength to get up amongst and get fouls and that. So it's just a question of that's impressed to me in the NBL. I mean, I'm intrigued to see if he really pushes that in the NBA. Right. Um, was there any other, let me see, let me try and think of how to frame this. Um, I think also, you know, one of the things that um, Mirren talked to us about that I thought was really interesting was was just, um, I, I guess, just in general, his his experience with dealing with being in the public eye for so long. Um, and one of the things I talked to Mirren about, and I'm sure maybe maybe in some conversations with coaching staff or anyone that covers the team this came up was at times, you know, LaMelo seems like a fairly, fairly jovial person, uh, a guy that certainly has a sense of humor. And I remember that she spoke to him about, uh, they had just come off a loss and he was kind of joking a little bit with her 
And she had asked him, you know, hey, like, you know, how, how do you still have your sense of humor? And he was like, listen, you got to you got to keep it light because this game will make you crazy. Um, you know, that that can be taken one of two ways. Right. There are some basketball fans that will see that prefer their player to be an absolute miserable wreck after a loss. Not, you're either a killer or you're like. I don't know, Dwight Howard. Right. No in between. <laughs> There's no nuance, right? There's no in yeah. between. So someone will, will take that negatively and, and say that he doesn't care. And I think, you know, um, that can also be seen positively in the, in the sense that, well, in the NBA, there's an 82 this year, 72 game season, and you have to move on to the next one. Uh, was there any conversations that you had with coaching staff in terms of that kind of part of his maturity? Was that seen as a positive how did they kind of interpret it? Um, from everything I've heard, there is no questions about his work ethic. There is no questions about his, um, what do you call it? Um, like determination for the team, the James, the opposite of James Harden currently. He is fully invested. I won't say fully invested. There were worries when he got injured. He had like a bone spur injury. He, according to reports, I couldn't confirm it, that he left Illawarra without saying goodbye to certain um, staff members or team members. But from a majority of what I heard, including people who didn't like the Lamello ball experience, there were no questions about his work ethic. There were no questions about his um, connection to the team. So I think it's, we got to rely, like we got to emphasize the AAU system is garbage. It is not built to teach basketball. It is built for coaches to win and then get jobs in better places and to promote talent. I don't, besides the NBL, there is nowhere I've seen where LaMelo Ball was forced to play defense. The NBA and the NBL are the only places I've ever seen like teams have purposely structured themselves to go, he can't play defense. We're going to attack him everywhere else. I've seen they've left him alone. And that says a lot to say, they're not trying to expose him on defense on the defensive end where in the NBL, that's a professional place. They want to win. Those teams want to win. So his determination, his work ethic shouldn't be questioned, but his personality, I think, has been adapt. His personality has more been built from his situation in life rather than himself. He's had to build. He's grown up in the light of people. And Mer, I, I shouldn't be talking about this. Mer is the expert on this. But from what I heard, on the court wise, he was like, there's no there's nothing you can really criticize him for his effort and that it's my job was more to look on the court and he, he adapted, he got better at some things, but it wasn't enough for me to stop criticizing him. Right. Right. No, I can see that um, for sure. In terms of, um, and this, this might be one of the, the last Lamello ones, but um, in terms of his ceiling, and any maybe maybe player comps that you could see for him in the future, it all really it, and we know that it'll depend a lot on his ability to play defense and hit a consistent shot. Um, but who is a player that you could see him mirroring his game after? We've heard we've heard a lot of different um, comparisons, whether it's Jason Kidd, Jason Williams. Um, is there anyone else that that you really see that has his? court vision and ability to finish at his size. I think we need to push back the Jason Kidd stuff. Jason Kidd was a very good defender and LaMelo Ball could be, but he's not at this pace. The thing that I've fallen back on is um, to a degree, Trey Young. Now, Trey Young is an excellent shooter, but the things that... the things that you couldn't compare, if you take away the shooting and the size, the things that are stay the same are the defense, the shot selection, and then the playmaking. LaMelo Ball at his best could average 10 assists per game. Right. But he could also average five turnovers a game. <laughs> so if you're 
if you're going off what we saw in the NBL and a couple preseason games in the NBA, his best, if you just like go progression wise, he could be averaging like 16 points, seven assists, seven rebounds, which is similar to his NBL stuff. And like a 33% three point shooter and playing team defense like Steph Curry. He's not going to be a lockdown one-on-one defender, but he can like stretch out really wide. He can get in passing lanes. He can be a team defender if he gets taught correctly. And the height of LaMelo ball is the reason he was projected to be number one or close to it, because there is so there, the things he does, you can't teach both defensively and offensively the things that kept him from being higher or the things that made people hesitant were the defense, which can be taught. But the biggest, biggest thing was the shot selection. Right. It was without question that. And I delve into this in a couple pieces, but this is the biggest issue of LaMelo that in the NBL, he shot 25% from three on like 6.7 attempts in the best game he had in the preseason. He took, five threes i believe and he made three of them what happened this is the best way to illustrate what i think of lamello ball three-point shooting the first two attempts he made the first two attempts he took were contested feet behind the two feet behind the line 16 seconds on the shot clock threes really bad shot selection right the next two he was in the corner catch and shoot but made made Then the last three he made was one of those feet behind the line, early shot clock, slightly contested shots, but he made it. He needs to get in rhythm. He needs to take efficient shots to get himself to see the ball go in the hoop. And then he can take those good shots because the highlight reels we saw in the NBL, the ones where he was scoring 30, like 30 point triple doubles, he was getting in rhythm with catch and shoots and then he was taking those ridiculous shots and he was making those ridiculous shots because he was getting in rhythm. So he can't go out into games and just chuck those deep contested 16 second left on the shot clock. So that's the biggest thing that if he fixes his shot selection and in the mid range, he's taking floaters from like 12 feet out. Right. He fixes the shot selection. That's the biggest thing. That's the number one thing for me with LaMelo Ball. Because if he just took catch and shoot, he'd be a 33% three-point shooter. Like he'd be an average three-point percent shooter if he just took catch and shoot. And that's more than you could say of like Ben Simmons, where we always compare Ben Simmons to the half court and where he has issues in the half court. LaMelo Ball can still make those catch and shoots. So if at worst in the half court offense, he's making catch and shoot threes, that is a lot for his development and that will help his team significantly. I think the last piece that you mentioned there, um, it reminds me a lot of how people describe Luka Doncic's three point shooting, right? Like he takes a high volume of three point shots. Uh, His percentage is not that great, but the reason he takes so many and deep threes is to help the gravity of the offense. And also kind of um, it just sets up everything because the further people have to come out to guard you past the three point line and Trey, Trey is kind of the same way as well, but, but people aren't scared of LaMelo. That's the issue he's facing. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, and I want to see what you think about this. Like I know they're not scared of him, but I almost feel like, And it's tough because I feel like some of those shots may be categorized as bad shots, but like when when you spoke earlier about him being in rhythm, right? It almost feels to me watching his game and you let me know if I'm off base, but it, it feels to me watching his game that he has to take at least a couple of those bad step backs or early in the shot clock in order to be in that rhythm for a couple of them to go in. I would love for LaMelo Ball to be, you know, um, really efficient with his shot selection, taking catch and shoot, but it just feels like watching him that he's that he's got to take a couple of those, get them out just to calibrate whatever he needs to when he gets to that release point um, so that it, it does potentially go in. Because I, I see, I guess, 
I see primary initiators and scorers like Trey Young and Luca similarly in that sense that they, you know, their, their volume is high. And even for as great at players as they are, they do take shots where you're like, what the hell is that? But it does seem to serve a purpose when you look, I guess, at the offense in total. It just at this point in LaMelo's career, his percentage is so low that it's hard to say, listen, let's give you the keys and the green light to do that. But hopefully, I think you you hope it, it turns into that at some point. I I get like that's the thing with Giannis as well. We saw of last year, just let him shoot threes occasionally, even if it breaks the offense. But like Lamelo is shooting five to eight attempts a game. Like this isn't low volume. This is high volume, inefficient shooting. So I don't mind. Like it's not. I don't have money put on these games. I'm not a coach. It doesn't affect me. But to see him be an efficient shooter, he needs to focus on the efficient shooting first. But to get those in rhythm and to calibrate your shot, I've, you know, Steph Curry does this often, but he needs to only take a couple a game. He needs to take two or three attempts a game. He needs to, if he's going to shoot four attempts a game, two of those need to be catch and shoot that he can't be taking these ridiculous shots because the percentage, the percentages don't respect it. The defense won't respect it. And eventually his teammates and coaches aren't going to respect it and they're going to crack it at him. And there's a reason you have practice. This is where you work on this stuff. And the NBA, unlike us who play pickup ball, have teams to play against, have coaches to work with. It's the, the development of, oh, he needs to do it in the game, I think is slightly overrated. I'm not a player, so I can't say that. But there's a place and a time for you to work on those shots. And I don't think an NBA regular season game where the Hornets are trying to get into the playoffs, there's no, they aren't signing Gordon Hayward to that contract to not get into the playoffs. Right. So I don't know if they're just going to ignore that part and let everyone else do that part. And that's why he's not started a single game that's why today he only played 15 minutes i think they might just let him do his thing for a small amount of time and then actually run a team but at this point when lamello ball is on the court and lamello ball isn't on the court the team is completely different and that's not helping his development okay i think that i I think that's a great point um lachlan before i let you go I want to ask you, I think it's, I think I had one or two questions in my mind. I think it's a two part question. It's completely unrelated to this podcast, but it is basketball related. My first question is, do you play pickup basketball? I will in Australia, there is no men adult basketball going on due to COVID restrictions, but I am technically listed as a junior because I still fit within that demographic of age range. So I have been playing technically as a junior, even though I'm an adult. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, who would you compare? I, I, I feel like I'm going to start making this a segment now to anybody that we uh, ask on. the. Podcast. I know where this question is going. <laughs> Absolutely. Who would you, who would you compare your game to? Six two white Paul Millsap. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I've thought about this a lot and I know exactly what it is. I'm a 6'2 white Paul Millsap. I have, an average, I have an average post game. I'm a good passer. I can defend at an okay level and I can catch and shoot sort of, but I'm not great off the dribble. I've thought about this a lot. It used to be Draymond Green, but I'm not the defender of that. 6'2 white Paul Millsap. I love it, Lachlan. I love it. Uh, Paul Millsap has had a fantastic career in the NBA. <laughs> I have not had a fantastic career. <laughs> no, listen. Um, that That's amazing, though. Um, listen, man, I, I really appreciate you spending some time uh, with me today talking Raptors and LaMelo Ball. Before I let you go, if you could let anyone uh, listening to the pod know where they can find um, your work, uh, how to follow you on Twitter, and if there's anything you're working on right now and want to promote, you know, please do so. So it's at Lockie Everett, L-A-C-H-I-E-E-V-E-R-E-T-T. That's on Twitter. Um, in my bio, there's a link to my Hoops Habit authors page, and that has all of my most recent articles. But um, I've signed the contract, but I haven't started working yet. But I have 
signed a contract with Overtime, which is a highlights um, production, and they post highlights. But until I get paid, I don't want to brag about it because I want money first before I get, say anything. But um, that won't be on my feed, but I might retweet it here and there. But that means I'll be watching a lot of LaMelo Ball because I'll be doing the highlights for that. And that means on my Twitter page, I'm going to be talking about him a lot after the games. But all I like for the Raptors stuff, I'm going to be covering the Raptors and Grizzlies this season. So keep on my feed for Grizzlies and Raptors content. And if you click the link, it'll have my full list of stuff as well as LaMelo Ball articles. I've noticed that the clips and the videos and the highlights do much better than the articles on my feed. But I think that there's still plenty. That's where the analysis is. Tweets are too short for that, but that's where I break down the shot selection. That's where I break down the defense, but at Lockie Everett on Twitter, that's where you find all my stuff. And then on the website at hoopshabit.com, that's where you find Chip as well. Awesome. Yes, that is true. Um, and um, listen, best of luck to to you and everything at Overtime. We will certainly be reading all of your work at Hoops Have It. Um, every, anything you're doing with Overtime, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, mate. Absolutely. And to anyone else listening, we hope you guys are staying safe and we will talk to you soon. Don't go see Wonder Woman. It's a COVID hotspot in cinemas watched on HBO Max. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I've, I've seen all of the you know Wonder Woman moments on NBA. I'm just like, no, if you're in America, watch it on HBO Max, please. There you go. Please. <laughs> are, you a, are you a big uh, Marvel person? Big comic person. Big yeah. comic person. Okay, I'm trying yeah. to get it. My, my girlfriend is trying to get me into Marvel. She was uh, she was shocked that uh, I had not seen, um, I think I saw like Infinity War and then the one before that or the one after that, but she was shocked that I hadn't seen uh, any of the Captain Americas. So over this uh, holiday break, <laughs> uh, I think I'm, I'm, I've been given strict orders to rectify that. So, uh, so we'll see what happens. Mm. Yeah, she's um, 